It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Modesty Files. I'm your host, Zoe, and in this podcast, we're diving into the world of Christian fundamentalism and interviewing women who left their churches. Today, we're speaking with Sarah, who left the Church of Christ about a decade ago. After having an abortion at age 19, she felt so guilty due to the beliefs instilled by her church that she vowed that the next person she would date, she would marry. However, she ended up trapped in an abusive marriage. The relationship started with love bombing and eventually turned into heavy verbal abuse and manipulation. Her pastors encouraged her to remain married because, quote, you can't divorce your husband just because he's mean to you. Sarah remained inside the cycle of abuse until she finally escaped a year and a half later. A brief content warning, we will be discussing physical and emotional abuse and other mature themes, which may be upsetting, so listener discretion is advised. So it's time to strip that modesty cover, put on some comfy pants, and let's jump into this week's episode of The Modesty Files. I'm not ashamed of who I was, and I'm proud of who I will be. Was scared to open up, was scared what people might think, but now I'm embracing my story, and I'm doing it all without the modesty. Hello, Sarah. Welcome to The Modesty Files. I'm not ashamed of who I was, no matter. <laughs> excited to talk to y'all. That like warms my heart so much. Okay. (laughs) So Sarah, why don't we go ahead and get started? I'm wondering if you can give us kind of an overview of what it was like for you growing up in the Church of Christ. So the Church of Christ is very conservative, very legalistic. They don't consider themselves a denomination. I think they consider themselves just the one true church. So they think that they want to do everything exactly like the church that Jesus started in the New Testament. Some things that make it stand out are there's no music, there's no instrumental music, everything is a cappella. 
that's a good memory actually because I like the music like we'd like when I would go to summer camp I would go to bible camp every year and there was four part harmonies like all the young adults singing and it was like really pretty so that's a good memory women must be silent in the church of Christ it was always men that did the lord's supper we do like communion it wasn't the question it was just how it was women must be silent and you hear the voice verses over and over so you just kind of you just assume that's how it is you just go with it And what were some of the beliefs that you held within the Church of Christ? There's a plan of salvation in the Church of Christ, and it's the same steps every time. It's the five, some people say six steps. It's hear the word, hear the word of God, believe, confess, repent, and be baptized for remission of your sins. And then the sixth step would sometimes be live faithfully. They don't always say live faithfully, but say you have to hear, you have to hear the word, believe, Confess the name of God before everyone. Repent of your sins, meaning turn away from your sin. Don't do it anymore. And then be baptized. If you're not baptized, then you're not going to heaven. Oh. When you're baptized, like that's only to like your slate is wiped clean. Like, so all the sins that you've done before you're baptized are gone for that moment. If you ever sin again after you're baptized, like big if, but if you ever sin again after you're baptized, you have to like start over like at the confess, repent and and will not be baptized, but you have to confess your sin as public as it is. So like, let's say it's just between me and God. I could just ask God for forgiveness and then repent. Then I have to stop, stop again. You have to like, stop. That's it. No more sin. Don't sin anymore. Yeah. Don't do it again. If you keep doing it, you didn't really repent. You weren't really sorry. Okay. How does Church of Christ define sin? I struggled a lot with that as a kid because doing anything that you're doing that you shouldn't be doing would be a sin. Anything that you don't do that you should do would be a sin, you know, and it just, it, that, that bothered, that, it just messed with my mind a lot because I could think of a lot of things. When I was a teenager, I was like going to the tanning bed and like buying some makeup for this pageant that I was going to be like in the school pageant or whatever. Like I was saving up my money. I had a little job and I was like spinning on the tanning bed. He'd go tanning back then. Like when you were a teenager, I don't think you yeah, can yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't get the tanning bed. <laughs> no. Like skin cancer is real, but like <laughs> in the nineties, that was a thing. <laughs> but then I, I remember like talking to a youth, like a youth leader. I was at a youth retreat and I was like, is this, is this a sin? Because like, I shouldn't be, sp- should I be spending my money on just like tanning bed? Isn't that just like vanity? I felt like anything that I did that wasn't for the glory of God was a sin. In your church, did they ever tell you, hey, vanity is a sin or XYZ is a sin? Like who defined sin so that you would know not to do that? I don't know about that. I don't know if that's the best example, but there was not like a like hard and fast list of rules. Like every church of Christ is different. So some were very conservative and then some would be considered more liberal. Like they might let people clap their hands in church. Another church might say you're not allowed to clap your hands in church because you have to do everything decently and in order. And that's not decently and in order. So it wasn't like a list of rules that every church had to follow. Okay, gotcha. Okay, so this makes sense then that this was, it was kind of up to the interpretation of the community that you were in. But then it also sounds like it was up to your own interpretation to decide, does this feel like I am disobeying God? And is this a sin kind of in that respect? Yeah. Yeah. Like they will definitely, like if you're doing something like I was definitely like corrected a lot, this is a sin. You have to go before the church and confess or you won't be allowed to teach Sunday school anymore. It would be stuff like that. I can imagine this leads to a lot of self-policing on your end in order to 
maintain this idea of I'm not sinning, I don't want to sin, monitoring your own thoughts and behavior. Yes, yes. I remember sitting, like, I was like maybe eight or nine, and the te- the preacher uh, was doing a sermon, and he said, how many sins do you think it takes to keep you out of heaven? And he was quiet, and then he, we had to think for a minute. He was like, 100, 500? And then he goes, the answer is one. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm out. Oh. <laughs> I'm done, because... What after you're baptized, every single sin that you commit, like you have to confess and specifically ask forgiveness for it and not do it again, or you're not going to go to heaven. Like there's no, like you're, once you're saved, you're always saved. I felt like no one was going to be saved. I felt like it was, I felt it was impossible. It tells you right there in black and white in the Bible that many people are going to go to hell and it's a, the big easy bath. And then a few people are going to go to heaven. I just felt like there was too many things were sins, like it was impossible. So I would get very discouraged. I would get very scared. I would get very guilty. I would get very panicky when I would think about it. How did you act on these emotions? Was there anything that you were attempting to do to try and feel the sense that you were going to go into heaven? I was so afraid that sometimes I I would be like on a kick where I'd be like, okay, I'm good. I'd keep my prayer journal. I would pray. I would read the Bible. I'd be doing so well. But then, you know, like I would kind of get bored of it, you know, kind of like just start to put my focus elsewhere and I would start sinning. I was like, you know what? I'm not even going to remember all these sins I do. I sin all the time. You know, I, I like, I'll say like a bad word. I'll like fib to my parents. What I watch something like a movie I shouldn't watch, you know, just like, just whatever it is. So I had like a little journal and I would write them down as I did them. And I would be like, okay, so I'm going to have to remember to confess this one. And there was some there. I was just like, I didn't even know how to confess it. Like, so you were supposed to confess your sins as public as they are, Okay, is what we were taught. So if it's just between you and God, you can just ask God for forgiveness and he'll forgive you as long as you repent and quit doing it. If I sinned against my mom, I'd have to tell her and I'd have to ask her for forgiveness. If I sinned and it was like public, like let's say I went to jail for murdering somebody, okay. like, I would need to confess publicly to the whole world because everyone knew about that sin. Like I, I, w- I was asked to go ahead in front of the church like a couple of times and ask for forgiveness of my sins because people at the church knew that I was sinning. Like I got caught drinking as a high schooler. And so my, like I had to go before the congregation at the end, like at the end of every church service, they have an invitational song. And the invitational song is like, come now as we stand and sing. And you have to walk up. And while the church is singing, like you talk to the preacher. And then you sit and then he tells, then he talks to the congregation for you because you're silent in church. So he tells everybody what you did and is like, please let's pray for Sarah as she repents and lives faithfully now. And so like we would say a prayer and then everyone would come up afterwards and hug you. And I like, I did not want to do that. It was very awkward for me as like a 16, 17 year old. And I remember one time I was like on a camping trip with my friend. My mom had taken us camping and she dropped us off at the mall. And we went in and my friend shoplifted a shirt for me. Like she, she was, I had never done it before, but she's like, here, we'll just put it in your bag. Like it, it's fine. Just it, like, I was like, oh, I was scared. She, she put it in the bag and she walked out with it. 
And I love that freaking shirt. I wore that shirt a lot. It was a red, like plaid Calvin Klein shirt. It was like 50 bucks. But then, you know, like, let's say it was like a year later, maybe. I don't know. I was at camp and at that shirt, it was like beating in my heart. Like I could feel, I was like, red shirt, red shirt, red shirt. That's like, that's a bad sin. And that you haven't confessed it. You haven't like repented. Like you are like, you're going to go to hell because of that shirt. So I told the counselor, I told her what was going on. I was like, look, I, I stole this shirt. I feel so bad. Like, I don't even know how to confess it because it was like at a random mall, like where we were camping. I don't know how to go back and find it. Like, I don't know how to tell them. I don't know how to ask them for forgiveness. I don't know how to repay them, but like, I feel so bad about this. So what can I do? And she said a prayer with me and she told me to like put $50 in the collection plate. It's like, I paid for the shirt. You know, and she's like, then you, she's like, then you should be good. So like, I had like my little checklist that I was like going down and I was trying to like confess every sin that I could remember and ask for forgiveness. So I would be like kind of clean again. Like I had just gotten baptized. Can we talk about some of the experiences you had at these summer camps? Cause it sounds like they were pretty influential and in your involvement with church of Christ. I loved it. It was, you know, we'd go, we'd go swimming and we'd sing every day and you'd have little Bible classes. It was fun. The same kids would come back every summer. So you'd make good friends and we would write letters over the summer. But, you know, looking back on it, some of the stuff was kind of weird. So I went, I went to camp, you know, when I was nine, 10, 11, 12, up to 18. I think the last year I went, I was 18 years old. And then a few years after that, I would go back as a counselor. I went as a 19 years old, 20, 21. I would be a counselor of like younger kids. We were learning a lot about like, it was big on purity culture. They did the True Love Weights program. Can you explain what that is? Yeah. True Love Weights was just like a promise to keep yourself pure. Don't have sex before marriage. They would have skits. They would show uh, why you need to keep yourself pure. They had the demonstrations where a big juicy hamburger, don't you want that big juicy hamburger? It looks so delicious. I think they brought one out one time and we're all like, yeah, that looks good. And then like, so like one counselor would like pick it up and like, "Mm," like take a big bite and like put it back down on the plate. And then like another counselor would pick it up and take a big bite and put it back down on the plate. Everyone was like biting it. And then at the end, you know, it was just like a little bit of used up meat that was like falling off the bun and ketchup smear or whatever. They're like, all right, all right, y'all. Now who wants it? You know, because at first we're like, yeah, that looks good. That looks good. We didn't know where they were going with it. Now who wants it? It was stuff like that. And they would pass out little contracts. It was like, I vow to stay pure until marriage. They encouraged us to like tell our parents when we went home that we wanted a better ring. Like they gave us like a little like plastic ring that looked silver but like tell whenever you get home you know I'd highly encourage you to tell your parent ask your parents to replace it with a better ring like a nicer ring so that they can be involved and you'll have a nice ring and so I, I did I got the ring I wore the ring they gave out the what would Jesus do bracelets I had one of those on each hand <laughs> I want to like go grab for grab for a beer I was like nope I'm gonna have my bracelet on I was like nope I got my ring I got my other bracelet like I had all these reminders right here So you received the purity ring, participated in signing the contract. What did that mean for you? What did participating in True Love Weights mean for dating and any type of relationships that you would have had in high school? 
yeah, I, I signed it. I was fully committed. I wasn't going to have sex. My church wasn't one that had like a, you're not allowed to kiss before you get married rule. There were, or there wasn't like any rules that were written down. Like we actually didn't like even talk about it. It was just don't have sex. Yeah. I mean, it was just like, keep yourself pure. So yeah, I dated, I had little boyfriends in high school, but nobody's serious. We'd go out on a date or something, but I wasn't sexually active. And then I went to college and I had a couple boyfriends in college that were serious. So we often hear from other women who grew up in fundamentals communities that college is a no-no, you're a woman and you're supposed to stay home. I'm just wondering, like, was college encouraged in Church of Christ? Like, were you allowed to go to college as a woman? It wasn't necessarily that the Church of Christ encouraged me to go to college, but my mom encouraged me to go to college. My mom is big on education. I started off going to a women's college. That was kind of like my first taste of freedom. So I I had a full scholarship to the college and I lost it because (laughs) I didn't go to class because I had my first little taste of freedom and I was like going out all the time. So I, I ruined that. And so I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do after that first year. There's several Church of Christ colleges, and I really wanted to go to Lipscomb. It's in Nashville, and my older brother was there. And I was like, I'm going to go to Nashville. Wow. Okay. So what was it like when you first got to Lipscomb? It was kind of like Bible camp, almost. A lot of my friends from, like every year at Bible camp, like we all keep in touch. So then you get to, then you get to Lipscomb and it's like, oh, it's all your friends. So you had like built-in friends there. You had to stay in the dorm. Like you had a curfew. You had to be in the dorm at I don't know, maybe 10 p.m. unless you were 21. If you're 21, you don't actually have to follow curfew. By the time that I got to that college, I was 21. So I would stay out sometimes like just like all night, like if my brother had an apartment, like I would stay there sometimes. And I got I got pulled into the office. The dorm mother was like, uh, Sarah, what's up with this? You're never in your room at dorm check. It's like, yeah, it's like, but I thought you, I'm 21. Like I don't have to be right. She's like, yes and no. Like, why are you always gone? Oh, wow. You know, like they were still checking up. Like, and we had to go to chapel every day. You have an assigned seat and you have to stay in your assigned seat the whole time. It's like a 30 minute singing and like a lesson or something. And they would have people like with digital cameras, like take a picture of all the audience. And if your seat was full, then you got credit for being there. And if your seat was empty, then you got counted absent and you could miss like five a semester. You know, sometimes I might like pay my suite mate to sit in my seat or something because I was running out of absences. Not a bad loophole that works. <laughs> but I did end up getting on chapel probation. So if you miss too many chapels, then you get on chapel probation. I can't remember exactly what that means, but it was like if you the next semester if you don't if you do it again, you're expelled. And you know, I think you also have to do some community service or something. But once I missed my amount of chapels, I was on chapel probation. I was like guess I don't have to go anymore this semester because I'm already like, I'm already out. So I quit. So I quit going. Like I didn't go at all anymore for the rest of the semester because I was like, I'm already on chapel probation. I don't need to keep going. And then I got in, like, I got called in. I got in big trouble for that because I, I told him that. I thought it made sense. I was like, yeah, of course I'm not yeah. going to go anymore. <laughs> so I want to ask you this. Okay. So you're at Church of Christ College. You are skipping seminary. You're on chapel probation. I'm getting in trouble for not staying in the dorm too much. I'm staying at my boyfriend's house. I'm in big trouble. I was wild now. I was wild. I was going crazy because I've always been impulsive. It's, it's always hard for me. Like, And I would go through periods where I was like, okay, you have to stop. Like, You're going to be good now. You know, I would be off and on, off and on. As you're transitioning into this phase of life where 
these sins are becoming more and more prevalent, how much of that fear of going to hell is still in the back of your head while you're in college? Yeah. When I was in college, I think I kind of felt invincible. I was like, I'm young. This is my time to have fun. It's going to be okay. You know, whenever I'm like a mom, like when I get married, like when I become an adult, you know, then I'm going to, I just, you know, I always assumed and knew that I would be a good, responsible adult, but I wasn't too concerned at that time. I had some friends, we didn't have sororities there. We had social clubs that were specific to that college. I saw my friends, like they were leading prayer, like in small group chapel with just us girls. They would be like telling their stories they would be so like serious and sincere and like like good I felt like they were just so good and I was so bad and I just felt like it was just my impossible task because there was so much I felt like I could never be perfect and like the church of Christ demanded perfection and so sometimes I was just like why even try I was like there's no way I'm doing that not this year maybe later so I kind of like it was there is in the back of my head I felt like if I would think about it I would get like anxiety. I feel like I just felt like it was impossible. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So what was life like for you after you graduated college and moved back home? So I moved back in with my parents and it was hard because I was back and I had had such a taste of freedom living by myself in Nashville. Then I came back home and it was, you know, midnight curfew. It was church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Just, it was just, I felt a little suffocated. So I started dating a guy and I ended up getting pregnant and I was terrified. I realized that I was late for my period and my friend came over. She got me a pregnancy test and I took it. And like, whenever I saw that I was pregnant, like I, I collapsed, like I just fell down, like on my hands and knees. And then I went down to my face, like I went limp and I was um, 
sobbing. I, I didn't know what to do. My friend, she didn't miss a beat. She picked, she picked up the phone and she called and she made me an appointment to go get an abortion. And I'm grateful that she, if I felt like, okay, this is okay because she made this appointment. Like I felt kind of like, I didn't even think about it. I was like, well, Lisa made me the appointment. I guess I have to go. So I, I was terrified. I knew that I wasn't ready to have a baby. I, I was terrified. I would have been in so much trouble, you know. What was your church's beliefs on abortion and your family's beliefs? No abortion. No, no abortion. No premarital sex, first of all. But then definitely no abortion. But also you're in trouble, like if you're caught pregnant too. So it's like, you're in trouble either way. Mm -hmm. My dad, he had a lapel pin. Is that what they're called? Mm -hmm. A little, Mm -hmm. like little silver, tiny little feet. And it's supposed to be the size of the fetus's feet at a certain age gestation. And he wore them on his lapel. So I was terrified that they would find out. I thought that they would would disown me. I thought my dad would disown me if he ever found out. So I went pretty quick and I had the abortion. And then after that, I, well, I broke up with the guy. I didn't even tell him. I didn't tell him that I was pregnant because I didn't want him to try to talk me out of having an abortion. Like I didn't want him to feel like he had that right to my body, I guess. I was afraid that he was going to want to keep it. I knew I didn't want to have a baby with him. So I just went ahead and broke up with him. And I, I felt like... This is a lot. I've gotten myself into a pretty, pretty big situation. This could change my, this could have changed my life forever. I said, the next person I date is going to be the person that I marry. I took time off of dating. I didn't have sex for over a year. I asked for forgiveness. You know, I didn't think anybody knew. I didn't want anybody to know. I wasn't proud of the fact that I had the abortion, but I felt like it was the right choice for me. So I just vowed to myself that I would never do it again. You know, I like took a break from dating, from everything. I was like, I'm just going to like focus on being a a good Christian. I'm going to, you know, do what I need to do. Until about a year later, I did end up meeting somebody that I thought was amazing. He, I thought he was so handsome. He just showed me so much attention. He told me. On our first date, actually, he told somebody sitting next to us on our first date that he was going to marry me. Like the server came and dropped some, you know, like the drinks off at the table or something. He's like, did you know I'm going to marry this woman right here? And I was like, I felt very like, oh, this is... I felt flattered, I guess is the word. I felt I felt flattered. So after we we were on we went on a couple of dates and then I had like a girls' night with my friends. I went out with a couple of coworkers and we had a good time. Like we went out dancing, you know, I ended up crashing at my friend's house. And then the next day I was talking to the guy that, you know, I had just started dating and I, I was telling him what we did. And he was like, Oh, he's like, sounds fun, but you know, I'm sorry. I was like, what are you sorry for? He's like, well, I'm sorry that we can't keep seeing each other because like the woman that I'm going to be with isn't going to be one that goes out like that. She's going to be like a good girl. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I can be a good girl. I was like, I I don't have to do that. You know, I was like, you're right. Like I'm trying to like grow up. I'm trying to be a better person. I was like, maybe I don't need to like go out with my friends. And that kind of like slowly like eased me into like being very controlled by him. 
he was very controlling and possessive. I wasn't, you know, I, at first it doesn't just, okay. So how, where it started is so different from where it ends. It ends like, I'm not allowed to see any friends. I'm not allowed to like go anywhere. I, you know, I'm not allowed to do anything. I had to stay at home all day, but it doesn't just start like that. Or you would never get involved with it. That's kind of how it started. He's like, Oh, well, I'm sorry. He's like, but I'm just, I'm kind of interested in someone that doesn't like go out partying. I'll say, okay, well then I'll quit partying. Cause I don't want to, part- you know, you're right. This has been like a problem with me for a long time. So I'm just going to cut it. I'm going to quit partying. Okay. I was like, this actually good. He wants like a good girl. He wants like a good Christian wife. Mm-hmm. We didn't go to the same church, but he went to like, he went to like a little Baptist church. But when we started dating, he started coming to church with me. So we were dating for a few weeks and I had been living with one of my coworkers who lived really close to his house. It lived like in like a neighboring city to where my parents live. I've moved in with my coworker a few months prior to that. And then I started dating him a few weeks after we started dating. Like I was just like staying over there more until basically I'd like moved in with him. Like he had me move in with him. I had never lived with anybody before. You know, I think I had never had like a serious boyfriend like that. Now I know that's like a red flag, but at the time I didn't know. I just felt very flattered. He like love bombed me. I didn't know what love bombing was, but it was just, you know, he was texting me every hour, how perfect I am, how beautiful, you know, you're so beautiful. Like, I can't wait until you're my wife, like really quickly. It was like that kind of stuff. And I had made a promise a year ago that I, the next guy I dated, I was going to marry. Like I wasn't going to keep following the same path. So I was like, okay, well, this is perfect. This is exactly what I asked for. So we moved in really quickly. And then about a week or two after I moved in with him, he, he um, actually has, he had two kids and about a week or two after I moved with, in with him, his kids got placed full custody with him. But, you know, I, I love them. They were so cute. They're funny. One was, it was like a six-year-old and a nine-year-old and they really needed some love at the time. The kids moved in with us a few weeks after I moved in and it was full time. So I kind of like became like, in no way do I think that I was their mother, but I almost like came in and like played the role of instant mother for the children because I took them to school. I, re- I drove 30 minutes in the morning to their school. I dropped them off at school. I quit my, like I was a server at the time. So I didn't do any evening shifts. I just worked the like lunch shifts. I worked from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. every day so that I could drop them off at school. And then I would pick them up after school. I would take them home. I would give them a snack. We would do homework. I I did all their laundry. I did all the cooking. I was like, it was as if I was like a stepmother, like the first week that I met the kids because they were living with him full time. You know, now I wonder if he knew that was about to happen and that's why he had me move in with him so quickly. Like, I don't know. Oh, wow. I mean, you you basically, you fell into mom and wife within a week. Yeah. And then he proposed not too long after that. So my mom knew that we were living together. My mom had come over. She'd like brought me some furniture. You know, she helped me set up our house. She was okay with it. She didn't tell my dad. Oh, he didn't know. mm -mm. Okay. He didn't know. Uh-huh. And he li- he lived really close. My, my we like where we were living at this time was actually really close to my parents' house. So one day my mom called and was like, "Hey, your dad and I are coming over." <laughs> I was like, "Okay." So they they wanted to have a talk with me, and they t- they basically told me they're like, "Okay, you're living together as husband and wife, and it's not right. You know, you're not married. I know that you're engaged, 
And I know that you, I know that the kids need you right now. He's like, I know that you're doing a lot of good things. You're taking them to school in the morning. That's good. You're taking care of them. That's great. But it's not okay that you're living together as husband and wife. So what he proposed was that I would, I would still live at my parents' house, but wake up every morning at like 6 a.m., go over to their house, spend the day there, do everything for them. And then like at midnight every night or whenever I was going to go home, you know, he wanted me to just come home and sleep at my parents' house just so that like we wouldn't be living together before we were married. I knew that the guy would not accept that. You know what I mean? Like, I I didn't want to do that. You know, I didn't want to do that. I was like, no, it's fine. I was like, we're engaged. We're going to be married soon. Like, I don't care. I'll marry him tomorrow. That's fine. Like they kind of like pressured me to like, let's, let's just get, okay then we have to get you married. Like we have to get you married. So I'm not like a big planner. I'm not detail oriented. I didn't care. I just asked my, like my mom and like a couple of women from the church just kind of like plan the wedding, like really fast. Oh, wow. Okay. So what was happening with your relationship at the time that your parents are saying you can't live together, you have to get married right away? Like what's going on with your relationship? I'm having a good time at this point. Like I love these kids where like, it's like fun little family. Like I pick them up. They're so cute. They're so funny. Everything's pretty good. I don't really like have friends anymore, but I'm so focused on the family that like, I don't care that I'm not going out with my friends or maybe I don't notice. I don't want to. It's like, oh no, I can't go out with you. I have to take care of these children. You know, I, I have like a family now. So that was that. I could tell that he was like a little bit jealous. I could tell that he was like a little bit like, maybe controlling, but I I didn't think of it as controlling. I thought of it as he is going to be my husband and I need to do what he says, you know. Um, so my mom and a couple women from the church planned the wedding. I got like a little, like a hundred dollar wedding dress, you know, something like a tiny, it wasn't even a wedding dress. It was just like a white, like a cute little white dress. So we got married really quickly. I felt relieved. I was like, okay. I was like, I'm married now. Mom and dad can't tell me I'm doing anything wrong. I was like, everything is good. I was like, I love these kids. I was like, I've got this, like this handsome, wonderful husband. Everything is good. Then a couple of weeks later, there came a big custody case for his children. Oh, okay. Yeah, like for, they had been temporarily placed with him full custody. You know, I had signed some papers like promising that I would not let them go with other people and you know, like go with their mother. She was going through a lot of stuff. Now I understand because I know what it's like to be married to this guy. So I know that she was going through a lot of stuff with him. You know what I mean? That can make anybody go off the rails. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now I understand. I didn't know at the time. So there was going to be a big custody case. And my ex-husband really wanted to have keep full custody of the kids. You know, their mom wanted them back as she should have, as they did need to go back with their mother, you know? So during the big custody, it was like a big, it was a big thing. And I started to see how, how my husband at the time treated other people. I started to lose all respect for him during this time. Maybe a month or two after we get married, the kids go back to live with their mom and it's just him and me and the house is it gets very tense so it's just the two of you alone for the first time in the house yeah before all this before all this happened like when we had started dating we had those like talks where you stay up all night and just tell everything you tell your whole story and I had told him about how I had the abortion and I had told him about how like I thought my father would disown me if he ever knew and he was 
interested. He was supportive and he was concerned. And I had, you know, I told him all kinds of things. After we got married, I realized he started getting, he was just mean. He was just mean. He would make me cry every day. He like would interrogate me about stuff. Like I had Facebook back then. And he was like, you have any of your ex-boyfriends on that Facebook? And I was like, yeah, I think, you know, I think I have a couple, like we're still friends. He's like, you need to delete them. And I was like, okay. So I deleted them. And then he was like, actually, I'm going to need you to write down every guy you've ever dated just so I can make sure they're, they're on, they're not on there. And I was like, okay. So I started like making a list and he was like, you're putting last names on that list. I said, no, I was just doing, he's like, put last names. He's like, and I'm going to need you to put if you had sex with him and if you like, or what sex acts you engaged in with him and where you did these sex acts, like with each person and if you use protection or not, it's like so easy now just to say it, but like, I was like, I was like, no, what are you talking about? I'm not going to yeah. do this. This is insane. And I didn't, I held out for a long time, but he would not drop it. So like, eventually, like I ended up, it's like, it was like a long list or anything, but you know, I wrote, I wrote down like every, all the, my ex-boyfriends and that kind of stuff, what he wanted to know. And then he was like, all right. So he was like, you know what? Just delete all the guys off your Facebook. I think I kept a cousin or something. You know what I mean? That I was related to. Every male friend he wanted you to get rid of. Yeah. Cause he was, he was my husband and I just had to do what he said. Like he, he was very big. Like he was like very entitled to like all of me. Yeah. Well, I was just going to ask, so what, what was his reaction if you did not do as he would say, what would, what would he say? I think the first time we got, we were in a big fight one night and I told him I was going to leave him. I was like, I'm just over this. I'm like, I'm going to go to my mom's. Like, I'm just, I think that this isn't going to work out. I was like, I'm going to leave. And he picked up the phone and he dialed my mom's phone number. And I was like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm telling your mom that you had an abortion. And I was like, no, 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 hang up, hang up, hang up, hang up. You know, I was like, no, no, hang up. So I think my mom actually did pick up and say hello. And then he hung up the phone. And that's kind of how he would keep me there to like get me to talk it out with him more. Because I think if I had just been on plate, if I was like, hey, I'm gone, I'm getting up, I'm walking out the door and like think about it by myself, I think I might have gotten some clarity. But he wouldn't, he wouldn't like let me do that because anytime I tried to leave, like in the middle of a fight, he would like th- just threaten to call my parents and tell them that I had an abortion. He was like, you said your dad would disown you, right? And I was like, yeah, like he was like using. So I find out now that he'd been like garnering that information and holding it so that he could like control me later. He truly had control over you. Like he, especially if like, if you're afraid that your father is going to disown you and that this is going to get out to the community that you had an abortion, like this is like your livelihood that is at stake if he tells them that you had the abortion and that's control. That's a control tactic. Like that's an abuse tactic. Yeah. Like I would, I know that I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have had anywhere to go. Like hindsight is 2020. Now I see all the red flags. Now I can pick out the abuse and what it was, but at the time I didn't know life was just hard. He was so jealous and I don't know why, because I like, you know, I never talked to anybody. I didn't have any guys on my Facebook. I remember he would like accuse me of looking at other guys if we were out in public. I felt like our relationship almost just became a series of interrogations. And I would just, I I was like, I cannot believe this has become my life. Yeah. How long are you married at this point? This went on for like, you know, maybe like six months. We were only married for a year and a half. So he had an opportunity to go work in Florida 
And so we moved to Jacksonville, Florida. We had like a tiny little 600 foot square apartment and he worked all day. I did have my car, but I'd like, I wasn't allowed to like work. I just had to sit like in the tiny little apartment. We didn't have cable TV. We didn't have internet access. Like I didn't have a smartphone at that time. It was just like me seeing this apartment with some old like Simpsons DVDs, maybe like some The Office DVDs. And like, I would just watch those on repeat. I was very isolated. I didn't have any friends or family there. And in my life was just kind of like waiting for him to come home from work. And he would come home from work and I wouldn't want to be around him. I would often, I would like get in the bath, take a bubble bath or whatever to get some alone time. And he got, he told me that like, if I loved him, I wouldn't do that. And I would, I would want to spend time with him when he was home from work. So I wasn't allowed to like take a bath or shower anymore. If he was home, I had to do it when he was at work. So in what ways did your upbringing and especially like growing up with these purity culture teachings influence the way that you behaved in this relationship, in this abusive relationship? So I thought that like I was getting what I deserved. He called me a whore every day. He called me a baby killer every day. And it would just be a thing where he just like unloaded verbally on me. He just called me all the names, the worst names you can think of until I would cry. Like it would usually stop when I cried. It's like he just wanted me to get to the point where I was crying. I don't understand why, but that's what was going on. So then he would like, you know, he would like storm out or I would like go to the bedroom and shut the door. And I had the book like I Kiss Dating Goodbye by Joshua Harris. And then the second one that he wrote, like Boy Meets Girl. I remember I would pull down one of those books a lot because it's hot. It said that like abstaining from premarital sex is a literal like requisite to have a good marriage. So I was like, I can't have a good marriage now. I was like, this is why. Like this, I was like, this right here is what they were talking about. I was like, this is what they said would happen. This is why they said, like, don't have premarital sex because now my husband can't get over it. He can't get over the fact that, like, I'm not a virgin. I was like, this is what I get. This is what I deserved. I wasn't godly. So like I, like I was now like the chewed up hamburger, like on Mm -hmm, the plate mm -hmm. and just like, I brought it on myself really. It becomes your burden to deal with. Yeah. Like, I think a part of me knew that this wasn't normal. Like, I think a part of me was like, okay, well, this, this is what I get. I was bad. I was like too wild. I was too much of a sinner. I wasn't godly. And so I don't get a chance for a happy relationship because I ruined that by being like a bad kid. A couple of things that are on my mind. What was your church's view on divorce? Because was that a reason why you stayed in this relationship? Other than the abuse aspect of this and being in a controlling relationship, like, was there also an element of like, we can't get divorced because that's ungodly? Like, that's a sin. Is there is there some of that happening here? A hundred percent. So we had a new preacher and his wife. And I love them. And I, so I would confide in the preacher's wife. I would say, I was like, my husband, I was like, he's just so mean to me. He makes me cry every day. He calls me the worst names. I told her, I was like, I had an abortion. Like, I'm sorry. It it was was a long time ago. Like, you know, I'm prayed with God. I feel like I'm forgiven for it, but he brings it up every day until, until I cry. She would just keep repeating. She's like, you can't get divorced. You can't get divorced. You can't get divorced. She said, you know, I'm just going to have to work through it. I'm going to have to pray. He ended up, at one point, my, um, I caught him cheating on me. 
he had gotten a text from this girl. She was a 19 year old girl that was like his best friend's girlfriend's daughter, if that makes sense. My husband went to work one day and he left his phone at home. And I had, I, I picked it up and I looked at it and I was looking at the texts and he always had them completely deleted, but he had forgotten to delete one. And it was like, yes, I took the day off work and I was going to come see you, but Sarah's now coming home from work early. So don't call or text. And I was like, what is this? So I was like, what in the world? Why did you take the day off work to go see a 19 year old girl? I know 100% he was cheating on me. He was like, no, I was going to go see her at work. She works at the grocery store. And I was told her I was just going to stop by and say hi because I do some grocery shopping. I'm like, okay. So I was furious. I called my mom and my dad. I was like, he's cheating on me. I was like, I am allowed to get divorced now. Like I felt like, I was like, okay. That's the grounds for divorce is if your spouse cheats on you. Okay. The The only reason you can get divorced is if they cheat on you. That's it. Adultery. So I called my preacher's wife and I was like, he's cheating on me. I was like, we're getting divorced. I was like, this is scriptural. And she's like, no, she's like, you don't know that he was cheating on you. He's like, they could have just been flirting. So you can't get divorced. She said to me one time, she said, I'm never going to tell you it's okay to divorce your husband. God hates divorce. What constitutes the definition of cheating? Is flirting not part of that or what? You literally got to, you got to. Yeah, P and V. Like, (laughs) yeah. I left him for a weekend, but he talked me into, he he somehow talked me into going back with him. These abusive relationships are like a cycle. And it's like, you have like tension building and then you have a big blow up. And then after the blow up, there's like a honeymoon period. And that's how they keep you back in. They draw you in by being even sweeter, really kind promises. And for a while you believe them, like you really want to believe them. And it's not your fault. I mean, that you were conditioned at this point. Okay. So you did, so you did go back to him. You had this honeymoon period. Yeah. And that's when we went, that's when we, that's like right when we moved to Florida. We were going to go have a fresh start. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. During this upcoming segment, we will be discussing physical abuse. So listener discretion is advised. You were married for a year and a half. How did this all eventually come to a head? So we had gone out one night and uh, there were some men from Russia at the table beside us. And I actually knew some Russian because my dad had been a missionary in Russia when I was a kid and he taught me some. And I was friends with some Russians in high school, some foreign exchange students. So I learned a little bit there with them too. And I liked Russian people. I was like, oh, I I can talk to them. I was like, hey, I can actually talk to them. And I, you know, hollered over to the table, Strasfutsia and some different Russian phrases like that. And he told me that I needed to quit talking to them. And I was like fed up. I was like, 
I can talk to who I want to talk to. He was like, actually, no, you can't. You're my wife. You talk to me, who I say I don't talk to. He's like, come on, we're going home. Get in the car. It's time to go home. And I was like, no, I don't want to go with you. He called my mom and who's like, will you please tell your daughter to get in the car with her husband? My mom was like, Sarah, you probably need to listen to him right now. She could tell he was mad. So I did end up getting in the car. And as soon as I got in the car, he started yelling at me. He grabbed me by the back of my hair, like the base of my neck, like where my ponytail would be. And he started slamming my face into the dash of his truck. And he was like, every time he would hit my head, he would be like, you are a whore, a fucking bitch, you know, just like cussing with every pound. And it's, I thought I was going to die. So he was slamming my face into the dash of his truck. And eventually he stopped and was just like holding my head and applying pressure. So I still pushed up against the dashboard, like where the air conditioner and radio and all that is. And I remember thinking, I was like, my mom used to make me watch like, Oprah after school about what to do if you're kidnapped or something like that. Like, I was like, what would uh, Oprah tell me? So weird. That's what I thought, but I specifically remember thinking that I, I reached, my head was still pushed up against the dashboard. I reached my hand over and pet his leg, like soothingly. I was like, baby, I was like, baby, I was like, that hurts. I was like, can you let go of me, please? And so he did let go and I jumped out of the truck. And I landed like in the parking lot and I found out later, I, ended, I sprained my wrist when I jumped out. He got out of the car, he got out of the truck, ran around and tried to pick me up and throw me back in the truck. And there was actually someone else in the parking lot, a car, and they were like, roll down the window. This woman was like, are you okay? And I said, I was like, no, I was like, he's trying to kill me. And he was like, yeah, I'm just trying to get her home. But I was like, no, I ran and I literally, I opened her door and I like jumped in her lap, like in her car. And I was like, call the cops. He's going to kill me. And he got in the car and he drove off. I got in her back seat. They called the cops. They found him a few streets over. Like they were able to find him and they brought him back to the parking lot where we were. And they looked in his truck and they saw my makeup was all smeared on the dashboard where there was like clumps of hair on my back where he had grabbed me by the hair they took pictures you could see some little like scrapes and stuff and redness on my face and they took pictures of that and they took him to jail for the night I called my parents so they came and got me and I went back home I was home for like a couple weeks I was back I was going to church with them when the preacher and his wife called me into their office and they said, what's going on with you? I was like, what do you mean? They said, you're back here acting like everything is okay when your husband is in Florida. And I was like, yeah. They're like, that's not okay. Your husband and wife, you have to, you have to be together. So they knew I wanted out. They knew that I was not happy in this marriage. But they said, if you're trying to get a scriptural, biblical divorce by staying away from him long enough that he cheats on you, then that's not okay either. That will also be your fault and you will not have a biblical divorce because I would be forcing him to cheat on me because I wasn't there like making my body available to him for sex. I, I have no words. I have no words for this. Yeah. They like his like libido or his like horniness was more important than like my bodily safety. And they knew that 
he attacked you. Oh, yes. I told him everything. But sh- my, she said her catchphrase, she always tells me, you can't divorce your husband just because he's mean to you. I think it's just the whole like misogyny of of the church. It's like, why does it always come back to sex? Like, why is like sex the big sin? Why is it my fault for leaving? Why would him cheating on me be my fault for leaving? Why isn't him hitting me or, you know, hitting my head against the truck? Why is he not held culpable? I don't know. It didn't make any sense to me. Yeah. So what happened after this conversation with your pastors? I actually did end up going back for a couple months. This happened in March. I think I stayed away for a month and then I went back and it was a little tiny bit of a honeymoon period. They get shorter and shorter. This one, I was expecting a big one because he had been terrible, but you know, it started up again. That was the only time he physically harmed me. Like there was some like coercion of sex. If I ever said no to him for like a set for sex, he had his little chart ready. He was like, every time you tell me no, I just remember that you said yes to this person at this place and I'm your husband. So how can you say yes to them and no to me? You know, they teach that the marital bed is undefiled. So they like, they believe that he is entitled to my body, that he gets to do whatever he wants with it at any time, sexually, you know, I have to submit to him. It's now his body. I was still responsible for like a man's libido because like when I was like a teenager in purity culture, it was like you had to dress modestly or you would cause him to sin by looking at your body, like lusting after your something. That would be your fault. So you had to do everything to keep your sexuality hidden. But then when I became married, it became his body and I had to do everything I could to make him not want to cheat on me. But like he was so cruel to me, like it's kind of hard to want to be intimate like that with someone who is just being so cruel and so unloving to you. Mm -hmm. How did you eventually leave this? We had gone out with some of his work friends in Florida and we were like out like drinking. He was talking to this woman that was in the bar. Like I didn't know who she was, but like they were like standing really close and kind of talking and flirting. So I went up to him and I was like, Hey, like what's going on? And the woman like grabbed me and full on kissed me on the lips. Like I didn't know where that came from. I think that he had been like trying to like, maybe like get her number, you know, maybe like hook up with her later, say that they say like, Oh, like maybe like we could have a threesome. Like that wouldn't have been something he would have said to me. I think it was like what he was telling her like, because she knew that he was there with, with someone. So I think that like, when I came up, like, I think he was saying like, but you know, like maybe first, like you and me can get together, but she doesn't care. I think it must've been something like that. Cause otherwise, like, why wouldn't she have grabbed me and kissed me? And I was like, I was like, what are you doing? I was like, I don't know. I was like, and I, 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 I was mad at, you know, whatever with her, but I was like mad at my husband. I was like, what are you doing? And I was like going off on him. And he was just like, what is it that you want, Sarah? What do you want from me? What, you want a big penis? Well, take your pick. And he went like this. Like He bit his arm like down the row of people that were there. There's like a bunch of guys there. So he's like, well, take your pick. And I was so humiliated. I was like, no. It's like, I just want you to be kind to me. I want you not to flirt with other girls. I don't want a random person to come up and kiss me because of whatever it is that you're telling her. So I left him. I left him there. 
And I tried to get like a hotel room for the night because I didn't want to go back to our apartment. But like he had all the money, he had the debit card, he had everything. So like I couldn't. So after a couple hours, I just went home. I was hoping he would be asleep. I just like sat in the, the car for like a long time in the parking lot. I was hoping that he'd be asleep, but I, I got home and he was up and he just like yelled at me for like a long time. He told me it was my fault. Like he wanted to have a baby. He wanted to get pregnant and I did not want to have a baby with him. Like not at all. So I was taking birth control pills. He was going off on me that night about why I couldn't get pregnant. Like every month when I would like get my period, he would tell me it was my fault that we couldn't have a baby because of the abortion. He was like, God's punishing you. Like, you know, you got your insides all scraped out and like, you're all fucked up now. So like, you'll never be able to have a baby. And after the night when he had humiliated me, he was going off on me about that. And I actually like recorded it on my phone. I remember like I turned my phone on to record just like his hour long tirade on me. So I waited until he passed out. And I um, packed like a tiny little bag. I just, you know, like a, just a few things. I remember that I did, I couldn't find any cash and I didn't want to take the debit card because it was his name and I was afraid I would get like in trouble. <laughs> so I remember like I, this like the most, the most anxious I ever had been. My heart was pounding, but I pulled it out of his wallet and like I drove and I filled my car up with gas because I didn't have any money. I filled my car up with gas with a debit card. I got some money out of the ATM. Like I had like the tiny bag and I drove back to the apartment, which I did not want to go back because I was so afraid that he was going to catch me. But I drove back to the apartment. And I opened the door, just like a little crack, like the front door. And I just like flung the debit card inside um, the apartment and like shut the door and locked it and left so that like I wouldn't have stolen his debit card. And then I just drove home. I drove all night to my parents' house and got there early in the morning. My parents were still asleep and my grandma, she lives there. My grandma was awake and she was letting the dog out as I was coming in. I remember I told her, I was like, I'm leaving him. We're getting divorced. Nobody can make me stay. That's it. I'm done. Like I'm going upstairs. I just went right upstairs to my old room and I went to sleep. Oh my God. Yeah. So at what point did he realize you were gone? Yeah. The next morning, it's been so long that like, I don't remember exactly. He blew up my phone. I changed my phone number. I, um, you know, took it to the police and I got him like recorded for harassing me. We got legally separated before in South Carolina, you can only get divorced on a few grounds. One, one would be abuse, but under the eyes of the law, because I went back after he physically abused me, it means that I forgave him. So I no longer like, and if you forgive him, then it's legally, it's like it never happened. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. (laughs) That's what I thought. That's real effed up. Yeah. That's how I felt. So yeah. So I didn't have grounds for that. So I had to abandon him, meaning I had to leave him. So I had to wait a year separation abandonment then we could get a divorce so we so I we got legally separated I got my parents got me a lawyer and I got like a restraining order against him where he couldn't call me text me come see me he was like blowing up my he was blowing up my friend's phone my parents phone my preacher's phone he did make good on his promise you know he told my mom he told my dad he told all my friends he would like text anybody that knew me and told them that I had an abortion told them other things just other things that he knew about me some of them true, some of them not, just kind of like did a big smear campaign. And I wouldn't have even known that he told my parents because they didn't bring it up to me. But he later apologized. He told me, he was like, I'm sorry that I told your parents about your abortion, but 
I need them to know that you're not a perfect angel. And I was like, okay, everybody knows I'm not a perfect angel. I don't think that's a problem. But yeah, like my parents had, I guess they made the choice to not even bring it up to me. I had told them that he had been blackmailing me while we were married. So he might try to tell you some weird stuff. I was like, some of it might be true. Some of it might not be true, whatever. My parents were like, we're not going to pay it any mind. And they didn't. They still have never brought it up to me. But you got out. Yeah, yeah. I, I waited a year and then I got I got divorced. And then after that, I left the church. Then the way I met my new husband is I was at a Simpsons trivia night because I have all my Simpsons knowledge because I watched every episode a yeah, yeah. hundred thousand times. And um, and he was there too. And our teams were tied for a tiebreaker. So my team sent me up and his team sent him up and we went head to head for the tiebreaker. Like that's how we met. But I just love how like my ex came down on me so hard for it. And it became like the thing that my my husband, my good husband and I like bond over. So we met and we were friends for a few years after that. My husband and I, we would see each other out and about, karaoke, like trivia. We had mutual friends. So like when we finally started dating, it was like, I didn't have to wonder if he's going to like secretly be mean. Like I knew that he was just like a good guy because I've known him for so many years. So my husband and I got married in 2017. I had a baby and he always slept in this one position that looked just like his ultrasound. And so I was like, this is so cute. I put like a little side by side and like, it was just like striking how similar they looked. And so I shared it online just because I thought it was cute. I didn't think anything of it. And it went viral and like Yahoo News asked me like for, they asked me some questions, like a little interview. They wanted to publish it with just like a cute little fluff piece. So I gave them permission to publish a little article like that. Then a few months later, I started noticing it pop up everywhere with like pro-life propaganda. You know, it's like the same baby, same person, different location. It's like what it said. Or it said like, same baby, no difference. Or like it would say, vote the Bible, like using his picture to tell people how to vote. And you knew it was your baby. Like, oh, yeah, 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 that's, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> that's my baby. Yeah. And I was like, how is this happening? Like, why is he like the new pro-life poster child? Yeah. I did not know. So I did a reverse image search to try and see like where it first came up. And there was this like a right to life group. And they had, I guess they saw the Yahoo article where like I gave Yahoo license to use the photos. Like I still, I like I have, I went back and checked afterwards. I've spoken, uh, you know, with a lawyer, but I gave Yahoo license to use the photos while I still retained the copyright. And I gave them like some interview quotes. We had our full, it had my full name. It had my baby's full name. It had where we lived and it had quotes. So I, right to life had like pulled the quotes from the article and the picture and published us in their newsletter, like sent out to, I don't know how many homes. They they sent it out as if I gave them an interview. They used all those quotes. And they did a like second half of the page was why this means you wish need to outlaw abortion and sent it out in their newsletter and like requested donations. They're like, we hope you will take this opportunity to send us like a hundred, a thousand, even ten thousand dollars. <laughs> you know, they are asking for donations to their wow. cause. Yeah. And the average reader isn't going to be reading that very critically. It definitely looks like I support their cause and I wanted them to publish my baby and our names in their newspaper. So they're using this image of your baby looking exactly like he does in the womb as he does outside of the womb 
And because he was 39 weeks. He was ready to pop out. Like he's a fully termed baby. Yeah. So they're using this image and turning it into their own propaganda. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've been reading some stuff and it's like, you know, abortion is so much more common. You know, people don't talk about it. Maybe like one in four, I want to say something like really common like that. People have had abortions and half of them are pro-life, but they think in their one special case, it's okay. I don't know. The re- like, it's not like I love abortion or anything, but after like going through what I, what I went through with my ex-husband and thinking about like, what if I hadn't had access to birth control when I was with him? And because, you know, I was his woman, I was his submissive wife. I had to, I couldn't say no to sex with him. How, how I wouldn't have had any way to protect myself from getting pregnant and I could have been tied to him for life, you know, had we gotten pregnant. There are people out there in like much worse situations than I was. There are people that are like literally getting raped by their partners or like life, like getting beat up every day just to say that they shouldn't be allowed to choose. Like, I just can't, I just can't see, see that. I understand people not believing in abortion, but it's like, if you're going to try and control somebody else when they're in that situation, like. Yeah. Like what you're saying, like for those, had you not had access to birth control or like even now, well, like looking back to when you were 19, like had you not had access to an abortion, the trajectory of your life would have been completely different. As far as like bodily autonomy goes, you can't force anyone to like donate blood or like a kidney or anything to someone else, even to save their life. This is your body. You might think they're terrible because like if you don't want to donate some blood or something, but I can't legally force somebody to give any part of their body to keep someone else alive. So why why does like like a little non-sentient, like little tiny, like why why is that take, yeah, little cells, why is that take a priority over like a human with 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 ideas and wants and feelings and dreams like how can that control it's such a touchy subject and it's so hard to talk about it so I've been put like in a really awkward situation because like if I want my child's I, I do not I do not like that my kid's picture is being used in this way I don't want him used to control women I don't want my baby's face used to manipulate vulnerable women that need abortions so did you ever reach out to Right to Life? So I reached out to Right to Life and I, at first I just thought it was an article that they shared. I was like, hey, that's my, actually I got my husband to do it. He said, hey, that's my son's picture. Can you take it down? They said, sure. They took the picture down, but they left the article up and it was just on that one little thing that we messaged them about. I realized now like the whole newsletter, the PDF of the newsletter is still up. So it was actually like on a newsletter that they printed out and like sent to, I don't know how many homes. So you can't take that off. You know, it's just like chilling in people's houses. It was a newsletter that was sent with his face on it. So like, there's no way to undo that. So is there anything that you can legally do to prevent them from sharing your son's photo? I spoke to some lawyers, like, because I still retain the copyright and because that for group first used it to make money, they asked for donations. They put it in their newsletter and they asked, they said there was a button on one of them that says donate now, like right underneath his picture. We hope that you will take his case and be moved to donate money. So they literally used him to make money for their cause. So I spoke to a lawyer and like, yeah, absolutely. You've, you've been wronged. It's illegal. It's, you have the copyright. It's your intellectual property. 
they use it to make money, but they said the whole thing is it's can you pr- you're gonna have to prove damages. Have you lost work because people think you're associated with the pro life? Oh, like you know, like I we'd have and we or we'd have to prove like we'd have to prove that they made money. They actually did make money from it. Like uh, how much? He said it, they he said it would be like a very long uh, and expensive process. And there's no guarantee what the outcome would be. He said that he can we can send out cease and desist because it's still being shared every minute. I feel like if you go look at it, it's just being shared so much. I can send out cease and desist, but I've been asking people. It's like a game of, of whack-a-mole trying to get people to take it down. And I'll put like some big Facebook preachers will have it up where they have like zillions of followers and they'll all be sharing it. And I'm like, hey, um, I'm respect like this is actually my son. And I'm respectfully asking you if you'll please take it down because I don't want his image shared this way. And then all people will pop up and be like, well, you shouldn't have shared it in the first place or like, that's what you get. And every single person, I swear, like 99% of the people that say that and people have been like probably a thousand people have told me that by now. If you look at their Facebook page, they have public pictures of their kids up. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, so which picture do you want me to take of your child and attach it to pro-choice? So Sarah, so we we like to close out our episodes with uh, a segment on advice. So I'm just wondering, like, what advice do you have for other women out there who would have been in a similar situation that you were in years ago? My first advice, the the thing that I wish that I would have known would be about love bombing, be it from a church or be it from like a significant other. They, the cult and the abusive partner, they start off the same way by grabbing you, love bombing you, pulling you in like that garnering all this information about you so they can like trap you in it. And I didn't see that as a red flag at the time. I just saw it as very flattering from my ex and from the church. Don't feel bad about your past. Don't feel like you deserve shabby treatment. Don't feel like you can't get anything better. That it's your own fault if you're being abused because you didn't have a perfect life. You don't, nobody deserves that. And you don't have to put up with that. It's not your fault. We're taught, we know we're taught that it kind of is in purity culture. So Sarah, what's on the horizon? What have you got going on the next couple months? Well, I started a new business a couple months ago. You did? I did. I did. It's been so exciting. Um, What are you doing? I'm painting shoes. So I get like white canvas, like vans. And I paint, you know, like fan art on them, just like different kind of characters or different designs. And so I opened up a Etsy shop and I swear. Like we've been a single income household for a long time, but like my very first month, I made more money than my husband did that month. Whoa. Oh my yes. God. So that's amazing. Yeah. That's great. Okay, yeah. No, like it's been, it's been so much fun. Like I got like, it averaged out to where I was getting like by averages, like a little bit more than one order a day. So like they were just like coming in. So I've been like very busy painting my shoes. My child, my my little baby just started preschool. Aww. So he's in school for three hours. It's just half day. He's in school for three hours a day. So like I have time to like get work done and do stuff like that. He's like talking well. He's I just see him growing so much. My heart just like wants to explode. And like my husband, I didn't know that guys like this existed like he was not brought up with a sense of entitlement to women's time or bodies or energy you know like he is kind and he's awesome we've been having a good time over here in quarantine together oh my god sarah thank you thank you so much for this this has been like 
an amazing, amazing conversation. And just thank you for sharing everything with us. Thank you for just just sparing your soul and just opening up to us. And I think it's just it's really important for other people to hear stories like yours. And to to also know that there is an other side to it. Thank you. Thank you so much. I love, I love your podcast. Thank you for giving different women the opportunity to come and share because it's honestly helped me a lot uh, listening to other people's stories. So thank you so much. Oh, well, we will say goodbye. Okay, bye. <laughs> and, oh, have a good night and relax and, and enjoy time with your son. And uh, we'll talk soon. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Modesty Files. If you like this episode, please leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to your podcast. And follow us on Instagram at The Modesty Files for updates and bonus content. And if you're looking to hear more from our guests from today, you can support us over on Patreon and get access to bonus segments from this week's episode. Special thanks to our female power squad who made this episode possible, Lauren, Olivia, Jessica, and Sophie. Our theme music is written by Savannah Kunze. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send an email to info at themodestyfiles.com. Thanks for listening and see you next week. I'm not ashamed of who I am.